DBA is a place for everyone, doubters and believers alike, to discuss theology, current events, and a rediscovery of radical hope. Find us on Facebook at Doubters forward slash Believers Alliance and on Instagram at Doubters Believers. Good morning, everyone. This is Brian Odland coming at you with DBA. As you can tell, I am not at Bryant Lake Bowl today, and we're kind of coming at it in a different area of my house, or I should say my apartment. Um, Yeah, Um, anybody who watches who's not local here, um, we got a lot of snow uh, in the last couple days. Uh, actually, on Friday, on we had a big snowstorm come through here. It's December after all. So, yeah, we got where I live here in St. Paul, we got 20 inches of snow. So if any of you do your math real quick, that's about a foot and a half of snow we got in a very short amount of time in about 12 hours. Uh, we got out. Um, I, we have a SUV. So it was quite easy to get out of these snow drifts and snow bank kind of things. But I did not feel like driving across town, maybe trying to park, um, not knowing where the snow emergencies are in Minneapolis because they're a lot different. So I decided to make the executive decision because I can. Um, so I decided I told Amanda that I wanted to stay home um, today. And just kind of relax, take it easy. Um, I know Bryant Lake Bowl, I don't think really cares if we do that or not. They don't charge us any rent um, just because we're such a small group. But I decided to just kind of make that executive decision. You know, if you do see us in, you know, our apartment somewhere, you know, in a different house or whatever, it's we're just trying different places. Like I love Bryant Lake Bowl, but sometimes... The parking, or sometimes if we have a smaller group, I'm just like, hey, why don't we stay home, or why don't we go over to this place and um, try it out there. So I'm in my little office, my little nook and cranny um, in our apartment. I'm lucky enough to, in an apartment, have a study, have a little place to kind of call my own and everything where I kind of come up with my talks and research and do all my podcasting things. So it's nice. And it's really good light compared to, it's so bright out today. The nice thing with the snowstorm is it's supposed to get really warm these next couple days. So a lot of this snow that I just talked about is supposed to melt. So that's good. It's actually good for the grass and good to get all that dirt and crud away from the fall. Um, But yeah, it was just so bright in all the other places. And I look back on the videos and I'm like, I feel like I'm so, like I'm glowing because the sun's coming in so much. So bear with me in um, this kind of iteration this week. Um, I have a, a kind of a brighter light in my office, and that's where we're going. And I don't have a chair that's big enough, so I'm kind of sitting back um, as far as I can go in my office. And I have my curtain here that kind of separates some of our storage stuff. So, you know, 
we're we're uh, on a minimal budget, uh, shoestring budget that's pretty much out of a man and I's pocket. So bear with us. And yeah, um, I got some opening thoughts and comments that I wanted to give today. December 26th, like I've said, we're not going to be in person. So that's probably just next week we'll be at Bryant Lake Bowl, weather permitting. Um, just that 26th, I don't know if I'll do a talk or um, just take that that Sunday off. We'll see. Just see how I feel and if I want to do that. Um it's just it's just kind of a been a whirlwind number of weeks for a man and I and our families just with um a lot of death and uh sadness around around the year. Um so if I'm a little despondent today, if I'm a little not as peppy as I usually am, it's just kind of all that's weighing on my heart and weighing on my emotions and just just you know it's difficult um as i said a couple weeks back on november 21st amanda's brother you know died unexpectedly um couple you know an hour or so right after i got done talking her daughter's believers alliance and that was you know the sunday right before thanksgiving today actually december 12th when i'm recording this marks the anniversary um of my father-in-law passing away uh he died all the way back in 2010 so it's 11 years. Um, a man and I had been married just barely over a month after that happened. So the holidays uh, are never going to be the same uh, around Thanksgiving and and Christmas uh, when you know we we see this. Um, the 17th of December is um, my grandfather's birthday, and he passed away a number of years ago. But I always, you know, remember him and kind of have a cocktail, one of his favorite cocktails, a rum and coke, you know, on on his birthday. So it's just, it's just, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to um, always have to be peppy and, and upbeat. That's one thing. Um, I, I don't think pastors or spiritual leaders are always feeling that they can talk about with to the people who watch them, congregations, you know, whatever, the community. Um, but there's a real sense of, of openness and transparency that I want to have with all of you who watch, whether live, you know, in person here on Facebook or um, when it comes out on the podcast. Um, and I know it's a small community. I, I'm not uh, thinking that this is going to be some massive you know, thousands of people watch. I mean, yes, that's the goal. But as I've said to people um, all the time that I do this, this isn't about me. This isn't about, um, you know, transforming the world. It's just helping people trudge along in their life. And if I can give you good thoughts and good, and good, um, I don't know, food for thought, if I can give you some things that you can glean and just think about in maybe new and different ways. That's 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 my point. Um, my point is not to convert anyone to Christianity. My I'm not here to convert people to atheism or secular humanism. I'm strictly here to just um, take some of the knowledge that I have that I've you know garnered over my long time in school and education and you know it's just it brightens my day when I see 
every each and every one of you on the live feed. Some days there's several, some days there's none, um, and that's okay. We all have busy lives. We all have things doing. You know, I know. You know, some people that watch are several hours ahead of us, so it's later in the day. And I know several people that watch that they're still sleeping because um, it's early on the West Coast. I'm not super early, but for the weekend. Um, but yeah, so all that. I will say, um, sitting right next, to, well, not sitting next to me, but right next to me is uh, a door that goes out into the hallway. I mean, it's not a usable door. So, but that goes out into the hallway of our apartment complex. So if you hear doors slamming or kids talking, I apologize. I can't really do anything different than that, but got to make do with what you got to make do. Um, we don't really have professional studio space or anything cool like that. So if you do hear any background no noise when you watch this on Facebook or the podcast, um, I apologize, um, already. So, um, one thing I wanted to talk about first before going into what I really wanted to say today is most of us who watch this who are somehow connected to the church in some sort of way realize that the season we're in is Advent. I'm not here to talk to you about what is Advent and all these things, but I'm here to say I've purposely um, not catered my talks around Advent and the Advent season, partly because I know a lot of people who watch it, watch this aren't really Christians anymore, um, or you're doubting. Um, that's the whole reason for our name change, Doubters Believers Alliance, because we want to take people's doubts um, about faith and Christianity and God and all that, as well as people who believe in it still, um, and kind of just have a dialogue, have a conversation as best as we can. And like I was just saying to Amanda this morning getting before getting ready for this, I was like, you know, it's it's such a breath of fresh air for me as someone who grew up in the church. I've said before in previous talks that I played baby Jesus twice when I was a <laughs> when I was an infant in the Pentecostal church that my parents were going to and not really having a chance I couldn't say or talk. Um so I guess you should put that on my IMBD page um, that I played Baby Jesus in a church play. No, I was joking. Um, no, but for, but I purposely didn't want to talk about Advent because I feel, especially this year, um, I'm just not in the headspace to talk about, you know, super Jesus-y things. I'm not in the headspace to to talk about, um, you know, this the upcoming birth that we celebrate of Jesus, which... Uh, you know, historically speaking, Jesus was not born in December. Uh, we just celebrate it because, like Christians always do, we we colonize and and take things from other religions. And so Christmas, it was actually what the day December twenty fifth was a pagan holiday. And when uh, Constantine became a Christian, he Christianized that day and was like, "Let's celebrate it." And so. Most likely Jesus was born in the springtime, here nor there. Um, so it's just when it comes to Christmas time, I love listening to Christmas music with my family or on the way to work. I love, you know, being with my family out in the snow or, you know, stuff like that and eating good food. But as far as going to church for Advent-y things and lighting the candle, um, I'm kind of allergic to it because I just think in Christianity we do so many things that are so... Um, 
not liturgical. We do that, but things that are are it's what we've always done. And it's you know, you, there's not a church it, probably in the world during Advent that's not doing something Adventy or something with church and all that stuff. So I'm going to go shy away from that. So last week you didn't hear me talk about it. This week you won't hear me talk about it. And then next week you won't hear me talk about Adventy things. And that's purposeful. So bear with me. Don't think I'm heretical because I'm not. Um, so yeah, that's why we're not talking about Advent because I don't want to and I'm not really in the headspace to do that. Um, as you can kind of tell, looking back, the last couple talks I've had been on this theme of deconstruction and on this theme of of question asking, um, pushing your own free thinking, pushing your own, uh, what's the word, pushing your own, I don't know, questions, pushing questions to try to get answers. And I'm going to still continue to do that. Um, I think ministers, teachers educators, you know, any anyone who has some sort of um, leadership, whether in church, schools, you know, in social media influences, whoever, anybody who has a little sliver of a, you know, place on the internet, like me. Um, we talk about, we talk about what we're passionate about, or we talk about what we're good at. And, uh, you know, talking with my wife, talking with my best friend, Scotty, who's a mentor to me, you know, deconstruction, um, being an ex-evangelical, um, not feeling at home in the church, all these things is what I'm passionate about. I think it's, I'm pretty knowledgeable on it. I think I've kind of went through the ringer, like go back, listen to my talk on my story and other things. And so I wanted to kind of talk more about free thinking and and pushing um, pushing the boundaries of, of our thought and all these things. And I'm going to um, go in depth in some places and then not in some others. Um, one philosopher that's influenced me a lot, and there's not a single person who's went through seminary, um, whether an MDiv or or a master's of theology or a doctorate of some sort who have not just been influenced by a plethora of people. I mean, there's certain people that you read their work in seminary and you're like, this is garbage. Or you read some and you're like, wow, this is really good. I gravitate. And that's the thing. You can gravitate towards certain ideologies or certain philosophies that maybe someone has said, and then look at another thing they said and completely disagree and that's fine. Uh, you can do that with any author, any pastor. You can say, wow, this pastor is really good at talking about social justice. But then when they try to preach on whatever, they're really bad. And it's the same thing within philosophy, theology, and stuff like that. You can be really influenced by individuals and then, but not agree with their whole body of work. So one person who's influenced me greatly um is fred is the german uh philosopher there we go it's a tongue twister frederick nietzsche and it was funny because growing up especially in bible college and seminary nietzsche was always kind of almost like allergic to to people who were supposed to cover and people we were supposed to read why because he was unabashedly um atheistic um and here in the um, in our notes, Amanda 
put a um, hyperlink to Wikipedia for Frederick Nietzsche. I think most of us, unless you've been living under a rock for a long time, know who Nietzsche is. But if you don't or you want to look a little bit more, just go to there and you can see some of um, more about his life and things like that. So thank you, Amanda, for posting that. Um, no, but Nietzsche was someone who always influenced me. And if I'm honest, it was kind of like um, a philosophical crush in, in a way because growing up so religious like I did, growing up so conservative like I did, he he was very, unlike Kierkegaard, like I talked about last week and the week before, who was very, um, who stayed in the church but critiqued it and critiqued it because it wanted to be better. Nietzsche was never religious, at least in the Christian sense, and he really um, went after Christianity. He thought Christianity was a sham. He thought it was narrow-minded and weak people who thought um, who thought Christianity was right. Um, he wasn't the first to think that, nor will he be the last. Um, I know a lot of atheists that I know or humanists that I know who... Um, really like Nietzsche, um, like his whole body of work. Or there's people like me who he'll write certain things. I'm like, I'm really into what you're saying. And then there's other things that Nietzsche says where I'm like, dude, yeah, what were you smoking? What were you on to, to, to say that? Um, I highly recommend if you're interested in Nietzsche more, go to your local library, go to Amazon, several books, several 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 books written like a biography of him or his works um thing like one book that's really good is thus spoke zathura don't ask me what it's all about um it's just a, a lot of deep philosophical richness but no so nietzsche is, is something that i've kind of dived into in the last number of of years just of my own personal reading of really liking what what he has to say but i'm gonna focus my talk about free thinking from a quote that i found from him that i really like and i know i'm kind of nerdy when i say this but i have a pinterest my wife got me into that i always thought it was a girly thing and it was just for like recipes or clothing and you know stuff like that but i actually have uh, a couple boards of philosophers and theologians that i like and then i have another one with quotes, quotes that I found, you know, on Pinterest that people have put up by some of these people that I really like. And I kind of was thinking this week, like, what do I want to talk about on Sunday? I really kind of want to stick in this theme of deconstruction and, and free thinking and what do we do with it? And so this, this, I was scrolling through and this quote that I'm about to read by Nietzsche really just stuck out to me. So I'm going to read it to you. The surest way to corrupt a youth is to instruct them to hold in higher esteem those who think alike than those who think differently. What does this quote mean? Breaking it down, it's not a long quote. Some of these philosophers can just have a quote that's like a page long, it seems. But I just think simply said, uh, simply sp spoken is he's calling us to, to freely think. Be open-minded, not to uh, always just be so confident in what leaders tell us. And I think one of the reasons I'm such a fan of this quote by Nietzsche is if I'm honest with myself, 
and I always want to be transparent and open-minded with all of you, why I always gravitated toward Nietzsche is because he was he kept pushing this control. He kept pushing the the um, ultimate truth. Um, I would say he was a postmodern before his time. Um, definitely, I know postmodern philosophers and theologians um, really like Nietzsche because of this. How he's just, he's critiquing Christianity from all these things, and he's critiquing. Probably at the end of the day, if he knew someone that was a Christian, he'd probably tell them that they were wrong, but he wouldn't lose any sleep over it. Like, hey, like I tell people, if you want to be an evangelical Christian, I'm not trying to tell you not to do it, but I'm going to critique it. I'm not going to tell you you can't be a mainline, you know, UCC or a Methodist or Episcopalian, but I'm going to critique it. Um, and I feel like religion across the board, whether Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, you know, keep going. If you are in a religion and you can't have a critique lodged against you and not get um, hurt by it or not being able to just internally be like, hmm, that was a good critique. And so often I think in, especially in American Christianity, when a religion like Christianity gets critiqued, we all are up in arms and we're like, oh, you can't critique it, you can't critique it, or this person's really wrong. Why? You know, if someone, like, I get critiqued at work. I get inspected at work for my job. I literally have people that come through my, my superiors and will say, hey, doing a great job. This, you need to get going. And I can take that any which way. But I'm just saying, even in, in life, we get critiqued. You know, sometimes my wife will call me out on things that I, I fail on. And that's not, she's doing it out of love, but she's also saying like, hey, you're better than this. You can be better or vice versa. Um, but when it comes to the church, I feel like we do such a bad job when it comes to Christianity. When we get critiqued or when a faith gets critiqued, we don't know what to do. But going back to the quote, the surest way to corrupt a youth is to instruct them to hold in higher esteem those who think alike than those who think differently. Simply put, he's pretty much saying we, people in leadership, especially in the church, pastors, deacons, whoever, anyone on the pastoral staff, it's always pushed that they're right. You can also, sorry, it's kind of loud now. Um, but it's always pushed that they're right. And, you know, whether they went to seminary or Bible college or whatever, that they're right and don't ask questions. And this quote that Nietzsche is saying is that that is how you get people to continue believing in religion. That's how you get people to continue to believe in Christianity is by telling them don't ask questions and these people who are in leadership over you are correct and right, and you do not ask questions. You you, you just believe it. And who, whenever you're listening to this, I'm sure there's things going off through your head. If you were in the church, maybe questions you asked. It could be about, um, you know, GLBTQ acceptance. It could be about racism. It could be about women in leadership, you know, A through Z, look at it. And he's literally saying, hey, let's buck the trend. Let's, let's, 
let's we're we're not supposed to put those people in esteem. We are supposed to ask questions. That's why I labeled this talk a call to free thinking because that's literally what he's what this quote is saying is he's like no we need to be free thinkers we as human beings regardless of faith or not we need to we need to freely think we need to freely push the bounds we need to freely push uh the narrative of people in leadership are right and even personally for me um you know i was talking to my mom this this past week just about certain things and of course she brings up stuff about faith and religion and which I love it and I enjoy especially talking to my mother but one thing I said is you can't deny the fact mom that even as a little kid I kind of was this nonconformist little kid this nonconformist attitude and she was like what do you mean I was like the church that we were a part of never said the words like conform to our thinking conform to what we're saying conform to this but I always was, and I never did this in a disrespectful way, but whenever the pastor was giving a talk or a missionary or some pastoral person that came in and spoke, it was always just assumed like what this man or woman said was right. And who are you as a young kid or a teenager or a young man to even question these things? Why are you even questioning them? You're so young. You're so naive. Wet behind the ears, as my grandpa would used to say. And Nietzsche is kind of just blowing that whole notion out of the water. He's pretty much saying that is the surest way to corrupt youth. That is the surest way to corrupt religious people is to tell them that everyone in leadership over them is correct. And that's and that's saying theologians that's saying christian philosophers that's saying missionaries all these things <clears throat> and why i love this quote by nietzsche so much is he's and that gives me hope it gives me sustenance because he's literally saying hey folks uh question it question the narrative push back be free thinkers you know you can go on google right now and there's networks of and groups on facebook and other things of just free thinkers of people who are not, you know, in the realm of religion or even necessarily philosophy or theology, and they're they have these organizations in the groups just so, and they get together, obviously pre-pandemic of people maybe getting into a library or coffee house or a bar, just talking about things. Be and a lot of them are ministers, former ministers. A lot of them are former seminarian students uh, uh, of people who are like who are gravitated towards this quote, who are, are saying, we need to be able to freely think, freely engage without being enslaved to religious parameters that can tell us, you know, right or wrong. Um, and I also think this is one of the reasons... The Western Church is on the decline. Um, I've had numerous conversations uh, with my best friend Scotty, who, um, as I said, is a, my best friend. He is a minister overseas ordained, um, and he's been me and him have been talking a lot because he's uh, he's saying even even in Europe, in Switzerland, and in he's him and his family's moving to England for a couple of months to do some some like sabbatical work. 
but I know some of you guys who watch um, in in Europe. I know some people watch from England, and we have a, a viewer from who watches us from Ireland. I would be, you know, really interested how how church is on the decline over there. Um, I can only speak from my context as an American, um, specifically in the Twin Cities here in Minnesota. But I know what I'm saying is not just commonplace here in America. I know it's in other parts of the world as well. But I think this is another way why the American church is on the decline. And like I've said in other talks, go to the Pew, you know, go Google it, go to the Pew, Pew Research, P-E-W, which I think is kind of funny. It's P-E-W and Pews and church. Anyway, Pew Research, the Barna Group, these people who, whether they're religious or not, they're literally looking at hard data. They're looking... You know, at, they'll interview thousands of people on things of, are you a Christian? Where do you fall religiously? Do you go to church? Do you th believe this about Jesus? Do you not? You know, blah, 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 blah. And the statistics are alarmingly um, negative towards the church. Um, I'm not saying that they're saying that, oh, it's just dropped off and no one goes to church and we're this huge, big secular cesspool of a country but pretty much what it's saying is in these last number of years probably the last decade or more church attendance has dropped has plummeted uh church just the the need to go to church has plummeted the the need to believe in jesus as the only way to believe a faith um has plummeted um you have a lot of people who are syncretic um spiritual kind of spiritualist which will mean they they blend different religions together so you might have a christian buddhist or a buddhist christian um you might have someone who is jewish but highly influenced by you know christianity and the teachings of jesus um you know you have a lot of people who still will say they believe in the tenets of christianity but they'll mix witchcraft or paganism in you know wicca all this stuff and we're living in a society where that's okay. We're living in a society where that that you can blend and mix things together. And I know this sounds, even as I'm saying this, this sounds so bizarre in a lot of ways because how I was raised was all this was all evil. It was all the work of the devil, the work of the enemy. But then you get older and you start thinking these things and you're like... And this Nietzsche quote keeps popping up in my head, is he's saying it's control. What they're doing is control. And that dawned on me when I started understanding, like, hey, I need to leave the UCC. This ordination track is not working out for me. Like I said, there's a lot of great people in that denomination. I still have friends there, so I'm not poo-pooing on them or those people who are ministers, not at all. But for me, I stepped back and I realized, looking looking outside, looking in, was that it's control. Every denomination within Christianity has their policies, has their procedures, has their own theological um, ways to do things, ways to believe. And if you do not fall in line little wiggle room but if you do not fall in line then you're not part of the group you're not part of the in group and i mean how often do we look at that even break that down into like friend groups 
how many of us have groups of friends where it's kind of like this is and this maybe never written down, maybe never, you know, here's a list of the do's and don'ts in our friend group. But there's kind of this unwritten rule in this friend group, like we're going to do this, we're not going to do this, we're going to do this, we're not going to do this. And then when one of you will say, hmm, why aren't we going to do this? Why can't we do this? Then the rest of the group, if they don't agree the same way with you, kind of start ostracizing you. They kind of start pushing back and they kind of start saying, hey, I don't want Brian or I don't want Tina or I don't want Jim in this group anymore because they're they're asking the questions. They're 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 pushing uh, these kind of un uh, these these ideas and ideologies we have in our friend group, and that's a lot what the churches do, does. They have these thoughts and they have these ideas and they have these unwritten rules of how to believe by. And if you start questioning them, they might not excommunicate you or ostracize you, but they're going to make it very difficult for you to um, succeed. And it, one of the things that I had a, such a hang-up with in the evangelical church that I grew up in was once I started asking questions about like gay rights and my friends who were gay, they let me ask those questions for a hot minute, but then it was soon they just stopped answering my questions. I would talk to my youth pastor. I would talk to the leaders. And I was like, hey, why are you preaching that being gay is wrong when you're using these six clobber passages in the New Testament or Old Testament and these people legitimately want to have a relationship with God and all that you care about is who they're sleeping with or who they're attracted to. And they just stopped asking questions. Or I would say, you know, you're you're demeaning sex work and, you know, strippers or prostitutes and I'm not saying... I I don't think that those are the greatest lifestyles to live or professions to do. But nonetheless, I was like, Jesus was friends with these kind of people in the New Testament. You're making it sound like this is such a new thing within our society and in the world, which prostitution and, and all that kind of stuff is the oldest, one of the oldest jobs in the world, oldest professions. And it was this thing where you just kept asking questions or I ask questions, and maybe you who are watching ask questions as well and never got answers. And it's coming back to this quote time and time again that is up on your screen by Nietzsche is the surest way to to enslave a person is by telling them to conform, by telling them to believe the way you do and to believe the way that you have is right. Um, there's another famous quote that he says is there's no absolute truth, just interpretations of the truth. Um, and I, 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 I believe that, um, how many of us in the church have grown up like our way of believing in Christianity or our way of believing in Jesus, our way of believing in the Bible is the correct way. No, it's just interpretations of what you say truth is. I know many people who are inerrantists when it comes to Scripture, which literally means there's no errors in the Bible. Every jot and tittle, every every word, every you know grammatical thing is correctly accurate without error. Came from God's mouth to the writers in the Scripture who wrote them, and it's perfectly the same. That's their interpretation. They have to hold that because their mind won't let them think any other way. That's an interpretation. 
but that's also control because the people and the church they go to are controlling the narrative, controlling their members of their church or the people in their church and saying to believe in Christianity, to believe in Jesus and to have eternal life, you have to believe in Christianity this way. You have to believe in Jesus this way. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. If you do, you're out of our community. Go find another one. Which is, you know, when we throw the word excommunication out, not a lot of churches do that. In practice, they're not out there. They're not sending emails out like, hey, we excommunicated this individual. But that happens in church all the time when people just kind of suddenly disappear. And, of course, most churches aren't going to say to their congregation, this family left or this individual left. But people are leaving because they're not able to ask questions. They're not able to be themselves, be their authentic selves. And isn't that one of the main things we're supposed to be as human beings, being our th authentic self, being who we really feel that we were created to be, however we were created. And that's another reason, a huge reason, I think, in the American church and the evangelical church is why deconstruction is such a huge thing right now. And obviously when we talk about deconstruction, I said last week it was a more intenser view of you know the philosophical reasoning of why we deconstruct but christian deconstruction simply is breaking down constructs theologies philosophies interpretations of jesus of faith of the bible that are traumatic that are hurtful that are misogynistic racist sexist um um exclusivistic and trying to make it relevant, um, trying to reconstruct it, that's a huge thing. I mean, people can deconstruct, and a lot of people who deconstruct, deconstruct themselves right out of faith or religion, and that's fine. People like myself have deconstructed to try to reconstruct something into more of a faith that I think Christ wanted us to have. I said something to my mom the other day. I had this wonderful, beautiful, like, hour conversation with her about everything. And I said, Mom, do you think the Christianity that is practiced today around the world, do you think, whether that's in an evangelical church, a Lutheran church, a Catholic church, whatever, I'm all, all church. I said, do you think the way that Christianity is practiced today is the Christianity and the church that Christ envisioned when he said it to his disciples in the New Testament? And she was like, no. And I said, that's my point. That's my point exactly. We're living this Christianity. We're going to church, this habitual thing. And we're saying, yes, we're, we're, the, we're this iteration of Christianity, and we are. But to say that we're doing it right is missing the point. And in, in, like I tell people, the church that we read about, so like the ch church in Thessalonica, which is Thessalonians, the church in Corinth, which is Corinthians, or the church of Ephesus, which is the book of Ephesians, all these churches and communities were small groups. They met in people's houses. They met 
Um, they met in the field. They met on, you know, the beach. Could they have met in the temple? Who knows? But by and large, most of the people, when they talked about faith, and most, of, and you got to remember, most of the people, early believers of Christianity, were um, illiterate. They couldn't read or write. So you had these people, like Paul, like Peter, other disciples who who knew about faith, who knew who knew Jesus. And throughout the centuries, we've gotten so off track. I mean, you look at the Catholic Church back when they were doing the indulgences. You know, you had these ornate, ornate, beautiful churches spending thousands, if not millions of dollars, of etching and carving and statues and stained glass. And all these vestments that they're wearing. And they would go around to people in these communities, and they're like, hey, if you give us a certain amount of money... We can get your loved one out of purgatory. We can get your your loved one out of hell. Do you honestly think that that's the Christianity and the and the faith that Jesus was talking about when he said to Peter, "On you, on this rock is where the church is going to be started." No. And I tell people all the time, Jesus tells us, the disciples tell us in the New Testament, the church is you. The church is us as people. The church is not a church building. The church isn't a Baptist denomination or a UCC denomination or the Catholic church. Those are just broken down groups of people who say, we agree and our theology and our philosophy lines up with this group of people, so I want to be a part of it. I'm not saying anything wrong about denominations, but to say that you're living this faith that was founded in the Bible— as the way to do church is not the same. And I didn't give my mom this, you know, beautiful bowed, bow tied answer. I was just saying, that's why I've deconstructed. Cause if our understanding of church is wrong, what is our understanding about everything else? How is this, how is this wrong? And one thing I kept saying is there's this phrase, the imagio day which literally is trans translated into the image of God. And I said, if we are created in the Imagio Dei, if we are created in the image of God, like you hear in the church all the time, then when I'm searching for truth, if I'm one of these persons that is doubting, is constantly questioning, and I'm created in the image of God, and I'm using my brain, I'm using my critical thought skills, I'm using reason I said so much in the church and so many people in Christianity think what I'm doing or what people who deconstruct is doing is wrong. But I look at it and I push back and say, I'm actually doing something that God wants me to do. I'm If I'm created in his image or God's image, I try not to use gender, gen, gender language, but in God's image, then I'm supposed to think. I'm supposed to question. If there's a faith leader that says something that is off base. I'm. I should be able to sit down, and say, "Hey, I, dude, I think you're off on this. I, I think you're wrong. Why did you say this?" And there's been numerous times in my in my faith journey where people have said, "Hey, I think you're wrong. I think you're off base." And I'm not like, "Rah rah rah rah! How dare you?" I'm like, "Okay, let's have a conversation. Why do you think I'm wrong? Why do you think what I said was off base?" And sometimes I'll be like, hey, I can see your point. Maybe I, I shouldn't have said that. 
Maybe I should have articulated it differently. Or there's other times where I'm like, hey, I think you're just wrong. You're flat wrong on that. And that's another thing. We should be able to critique one another. We should be able to critique the church. We should be able to critique faith because we're free thinkers. Because if we're creating the image of God and we think we're thinking people, why not? And one thing I also had said to my mom and like I said, this wasn't like, you're wrong, Mom, or you're right, Brian. It was just this dialogue, and I love being able to have a parent that enjoys having these conversations with me. But how, how am I going to say this? I, I had said, we question everything all the time as human beings. Uh, political seasons, when we vote for presidents or mayors or governors, we look at what they're saying. We look at their policies and their platforms and we're like, yeah, I like this individual. I like him or her. And you might vote Republican one election. You might vote Democrat. You might vote Independent. But we're questioning them. We're, we're taking their character in there. When I, I said when it comes to jobs, there's you'll get a job and you'll interview for it and you'll get it. And then you might be there for a year. You might be there for five years. But then you start questioning things. You start saying, hey, maybe this isn't right for me. Maybe I see how my leaders are doing here. I don't like them. I think my manager or or the CEO or the CFO is really off and I don't and this is a really toxic work environment and you leave. Or relationships or marriages. There's people who are like, When I married my husband, he was great, he was awesome, he was this, 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 and then over time something happened. And so you sit back, you maybe go through counseling or therapy. And then maybe the best thing is that you get divorced. My point is saying we question all these things and we make tough decisions all the time for what's best for us. But then what I said to my mom was, but why is it when it comes to Christianity? Why is it when it comes to faith? People in the church refuse to ask the questions, refuse to be free thinkers, refuse to or they refuse to say, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I am not right on this. And that's the thing that's always been a thorn in my side. And that's where my brain, my rationalistic reason brain will say, hey, if we're doing all these things, if we're asking all these questions in every other aspect of our life, why is it when it comes to faith? Why is it when it comes to believing in this invisible deity we called God, we can't ask questions? And kind of getting closer to the end, I think what it is, and I've said this before, and this has kind of like been my word, been my theme just this last year of 2021 since we're coming to an end, is control. It literally comes down to control. Um, both denominations that I did ordination tracks on, the Assemblies of God and the United Church of Christ, drastically different on theology, drastically different on how they view uh, church, how they view community or evangelism, all things. I mean, literally all things church, they're drastically different. But the one thing that they were so the same on was control. And you will never hear that from the pulpit. You will never hear that um, from members of these churches. But I'm giving you firsthand information that being a part of it spending countless hours in church meetings, behind-the-scenes stuff. I mean, in both of these traditions, 
I got behind the curtain, and I've used the analogy of like Oz. Everyone said Oz was this big, powerful wizard, and you want to go to Oz, and you talk to this big, bad wizard, and he was all thoughtful and all-knowing, and then you literally see that it's a person behind this curtain using this computer or this contraption to make themselves someone that they really weren't. And But it was this narrative all throughout The Wizard of Oz that this is who this is, this person can give you this, and then you find out all along that it was inside of you. You had the courage. You're not timid. You know, all I don't this isn't a talk on the Wizard of Oz. But I look at that within the church and people might be like, Well, Brian, do you hate church? Do you hate God? What 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 are you trying to say? I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is we need to as human beings, we need to as Christians, or we need to as doubters or humanists or whatever, we need to keep asking questions. We need to keep. We need to be free thinkers. Uh, we need to use our critical engagement. We need to use our reason. Because if we don't, we are going to believe anything that anyone, any pastor or leader in the church will say to us. And I know that there's probably faith leaders out there who we see some of these big televangelists, and we can see we in our heart we can say, "Hey, that person's off." You know, they're not really saying anything of worth, of value. Why are they making all this money? Well, yeah, ask questions, push it, push the narrative, saying, why are these people doing it? And a lot of what I get from people is, yeah, we know that this is probably wrong within Christianity. Yeah, we know that our pastor's probably not right what they're saying. Yeah, but then it's like, but I'm too tired to ask questions or... Um, I just don't want to go down that road or all this. And I actually had a family member, I'm not going to say who, but after, you know, an issue that happened within her family, they came and asked me what I thought. And I said, I don't believe in the Bible as inerrant, all this stuff, but I know you do. And so I literally walked them through how their view that they held on this particular thing that happened they were wrong because biblically it said the exact opposite. And they looked at me and they said, you know what? You are probably right, but I choose not to believe that. And I said, then you choose to have blissful ignorance on it. Like, you know, in your mind and you know, in your heart that you're wrong on this, but in your head and in your heart, you don't want to change it. And that's my whole point, folks, with being free thinking is so many. So my deconstruction started that way. It was always taught to me by my church, by my faith leaders, that this is how I needed to believe. And this is how I believe. And do not ask questions. Do not um, stir the pot. I can't tell you how many times in my youth group growing up, kids would come up to me, my, my classmates, People my age would be like, Brian, why are you always rocking the boat? Why are you always stirring the pot? You know, all these negative things. And I looked at them and I was like, if we're supposed to take this as serious as it's been told to us by our pastors, as serious as it was told to us by our parents, why why are you okay with whatever they're saying? Why are you okay, you know, by excluding loved ones in your family, by excluding neighbors, 
excluding people from other religions. Why are you okay with that? And kind of wrapping this up, within my last tradition, I I mean, I in the eight years, just think of being part of something for eight years that you were training to do, that you were you thought you were good at. I thought I was good, and I still think I'm good. That you trained to do countless hours staying up late writing sermons. For crying out loud, I worked overnight for two years. Worked overnight for two years, would come home after working all night, go to bed for two or three hours, get up, go to this UCC church for an internship, be there for three, four, five hours, do a lot of work there, come home, go to bed, or actually take a nap for a few hours, get up and go to work again. While I'm at work on some downtime, would come up with a sermon, come up with a talk for the church, all these things. I did that for two years. I also, at that time working overnight, um, had a class at a seminary. So I went to bed, and when I got up after work on this particular day, I would go to bed, you know, get up at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the evening, go to work all night, come home, take a shower, go to class from 8 in the morning till noon, sleep from noon to 7, get up and do it again, and go to work. And that was while I was doing an internship and having that class. If I was in it, I was in it to win it. I was doing all these things. And then I went to a group via Zoom of a bunch of old white men and women, people who have been in ministry for years and years and years, people who towed the party line, people who did all this stuff. And then when I started, I just started asking questions. I started pushing the narrative. I started pushing their idea of control. And I was like, why do we do this? Why do we do this in the church? Why are these policies this way? Why is our theology this way? I had people tell me, oh, you're a wolf in sheep's clothing. How do we know you're not evangelical? How do we know this, this, or this? I had other people who validated me, who vouched for me, who knew me, who were like, hey, I went and had coffee with Brian. He's the real deal. And I had other people who were like all over the place. And it was me at that time as a 37-year-old, 36 or 37, being like, these people think I'm this young whippersnapper, this young person wet behind the ears that don't know anything. That's dumb. That's stupid. Because I didn't go to the seminaries that they wanted me to go to. I went to more conservative seminaries because that's how I was raised. Uh, I, I might have not been as open in certain views that they wanted me to be open on. Or all these things. And the biggest thing was when I told them, I don't want to do parish ministry. I don't want to do church in the traditional terms. I don't want to be a chaplain in a hospital or in in a college. And I literally had numerous people in this interview tell me, well, that's what we do. That's, that, that's the only thing you can do. And I was like, what? Well, yeah, you can do some nonprofit stuff and you can do this. But the one thing that really got me was they were like, how is this an ordainable call? And in this tradition, it was like you, if you can offer the sacraments, which is communion and baptism, if you can offer pastoral care, and you can preach the word. Those three things in the UCC makes it an ordainable call. And I would say, I do that all the time. They're like, what do you mean? And I said, with the podcast that I do, Sacred Collective, at the time, I'm like, we have pizza and beer. That is the Eucharist. 
I said we, I a lot of the times, not all the time, but I said we'll talk something out of the Bible, a phrase or a verse or a theme. And then I said I offer pastoral care. I said we've had individuals that are going through horrible things, a breakup in relationships. Uh, one of the individuals was going through a nasty divorce. We had another person that struggled with, you know, drug abuse and things like that. And I was like, yes, I'm not the only one there. And it was like, it wasn't good enough for them. It was like, oh, well, you, you know, you're not in the church doing it. You're not doing this and you're not doing this. And everything in the back of my head, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing it. Yeah, I'm doing it. Maybe it was even God, the spirit, whatever you want to call it, being like, yeah, Brian, you're doing this. But I wasn't doing it the way they wanted me to do it. I wasn't doing it the way that they have formulated it and scripted it to be done. And here's this denomination that prides itself on being radically hospitable, radically inclusive, radically all these things. And then it was someone like me who was trying to get ordained and they just kept putting walls and walls and walls up. And my one critique that I'll have with the UCC, and I know some people listen from the UCC, but when my wife and I became members, we had to go through a membership class, which in most denominations you do. And I will never forget what they said. The average age and racial makeup of United Church of Christ churches is predominantly white, and the average age of a member is 70. And I'm not saying to anybody who falls on those demographics of white and 70 that you shouldn't go to church or anything like that. No. But that struck me. Yes, I'm a white man, but I'm way, way below that age demographic by at least 20 to 25 years. And I was like, how can we preach on racial justice when everyone in our church is white? How can we preach on all these things of grace and community when we're not showing it? And I'll say that to my friends and family in the Assemblies of God in every denomination. We do things great within the church. We do things really bad within the church. But the thing that we have so many issues with is control. We always want to control our narrative. We want to control what the denomination says. And the thing that hurt me the most, and I'll be brutally honest, is after I emailed my conference, because in the UCC it's broken up into conferences, I emailed my conference leadership, I emailed my advisor, I emailed my pastors or talked with them, and saying this is what I'm doing. I've prayed about it. This is My wife is on board. My family's on board. My close mentors and colleagues are on board with me. This is what I feel like I need to do. And all of them were like, oh, well, we're sad to see you go. We love you. If you ever want to come back, you can come here with open arms. That was mid-August of 2020. And now we're almost at the end of 2021. And I can say out of all those people in leadership and all those people that I considered friends and colleagues in the ministry, two, two, within a year and a half, have reached out to me to ask me how I really am doing, to ask me how DBA is doing, to ask me how Sacred Collective is doing, 
to ask me how my own faith journey is going. And you see my problem. Once you start asking questions, once you start jabbing at it and seeking answers or probing or being a free thinker or saying any of this stuff, they won't overtly kick you out, but they'll kind of mute you. They will kind of put you on the margins and they'll, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard from people. Yep. I was a part of this church. Yep. I was a part of this denomination, whatever it is, started asking questions or whatever. And I was, I stopped getting invited. My family stopped getting invited. Um, I somehow got asked to be out of this committee or I got asked to not partake in this. And that's literally because these individuals would are asking the questions. They weren't conforming to the scripts and the standard of what this church or what this denomination wanted. And that is why going back to that quote that I'm going to read and kind of end with this, the surest way to corrupt a youth is to instruct them to hold in higher esteem those who think alike than those who think differently. And I know I'm specifically talking about church and talking about faith. That can be within anything. That can be faith leaders, political leaders, community leaders, educators, whatever. But for the sake of this conversation and for the sake of what I do within this community, we need to ask questions. We need to be free thinkers. We need to push this this complacency. I'll say this last thing that I saw this morning, and then I'll end. Somebody, I, I don't go on Twitter a lot. I have an account. I'll tweet every now and then. I don't have a big following. I don't care. I'm not about numbers. I just kind of lurk. And the Christian Post, which is a very, very conservative, um, evangelical-leaning um, magazine, I think it is, or online thing, this guy wrote pretty much uh, about deconstruction. And I it's not a long article, but I read it, and... It was so tone deaf. And every article that I've seen evangelicals post about deconstruction is they're not, they're looking at it and being dismissive. They're looking at it and saying, hey, you know what? Uh, the reason you're de deconstructing is because you're doubting. The reason you're deconstructing is you weren't really a Christian. You were nominal. The reason you were, you're deconstructing is because you're really wanting to be an atheist, all these things. And, and I get mad when I read it, but then I also get sad almost to the point of crying because I was like, you are having an entire generations of people, Gen Z, which is like my, my niece's age, and millennials like myself being an elder millennial, saying, no, we're telling you. We're making TikTok videos. We're doing talks like this in our spiritual communities. And we're telling you, no, this is why we're deconstructing. This is why we're pushing your ideas of control. And we're literally telling them, our hands are out, waving around, saying, this is why we are doing this. And then they come out with articles that are like, 
Oh, I guess this is why they're doing it, because they really weren't Christians. Oh, I guess they're asking these questions because they don't really, they're doubting. Uh, I guess they're asking these questions because they don't really want Jesus in their life, and they're, they're questioning what truth is. And I sit back, and that quote that I said earlier, too, that Nietzsche is, there is no truth, but just interpretations of the truth. And that is what they're, that is what they're fighting on. Because all of them are saying, all the evangelical churches and the people that I've, who are coming from these that are saying it, and I'm like, no, you're just believing your interpretation of the Bible, your interpretation of Jesus, your interpretation of Scripture, of everything. That's your interpretation of the truth. You say that your interpretation is right, everyone else's is wrong, but they look at deconstruction as... Uh, as a sinful thing, they look at it as a negative, and I look at deconstruction and something that I am so glad that I've went through, that I'm still going through, because I said, no, deconstruction is a powerful movement, it's a powerful force, because you're having men and women, regardless of age, coming up and saying, hey, something is not right with this, something is not right within our faith. Something is not right within our churches. Something is not right in this, and we need to start dismantling these things that are wrong, oppressive, exclusive. And so many in the church, in the left and the right, are not listening to us. It's not about the church services. It's not about um, do you go to church every Sunday? Do you tithe? Maybe those are some things that people deconstruct. But really what it comes down to, it's people are saying your interpretations, your theology, your philosophy, all of it is so destructive, so destructive, so toxic, so traumatizing. It's full of propaganda. And by you saying that we're wrong is showing you how cowardly and so full of control on wanting to control the narrative that you really are. So that was heavy. I know I could go on more and longer with this conversation. I'm tired. And as I said on the top of the talk, I'm just in a sad mood, um, as I said, because it's just this time of year now is never going to be the same. And I want people to have feedback. If you want to have feedback, if you want to write me a direct message on this or you guys always know my handles I've always I always put it in my show notes uh direct message me I want to have a conversation I, I I know a lot of people don't like asking questions on on this live video um I know a lot of people don't tune in live just because life happens I get that but I really want this conversation to be something when someone just looks at me and they're like Brian you're angry you're bitter no I'm not angry or bitter it's far from the truth I've been the happiest now than I've ever been in my entire life, especially when it comes to faith. But I just want people to think and question. God created us with a critical eye to have critical engagement, to critically dialogue with people, to question the norms, to to not be conformist, to conform. I had a note in there that's saying, like, we should be nonconformist. Yeah, we should be a nonconformist when it comes to 
toxic teachings. And there's parts in the scripture where it even says, you know, if someone says something, faith leader or not, that goes against what you know is right in your heart, you need to stand up and say it. You need to stand up and talk about it. That's what I'm doing. I'm taking these words from Scripture to heart, even though I struggle with a lot of what's in Scripture. I struggle with a lot what's in there, but I still take it serious. Because I'm like, if you have people thousands of years ago that are telling me, telling you to ask questions, push back, um, ask people, ask leaders why they're doing what they do, it's a lonely road. You don't have a lot of people in the church doing it, but more and more are coming out of the, you know, out of the curtains and are saying, hey, no, I'm going to do these things. And that's why deconstruction is so popular. And it's a movement that's growing because people are like, hey, I, I follow many people on TikTok and I'll be like ex-Mormons or ex-Christians or ex-Buddhists or ex-Hindus or whatever. And, and they're saying, wow, like when I started asking questions, when I started pushing back on the control aspect, I realized a lot of what I believed in was wrong. I, I believed a lot of how I was taught was wrong. And yeah, for a while it was scary and nervous and family turned their back on me. But spiritually, mentally, I'm doing the best that I've ever done. And I'm saying that's for me too. And so if you're listening or you're watching, whenever you do, try to take what I've said and incorporate it into your just thought process. However you do that. When you go, If you go to church and you're an active church member, great. I'm not telling you don't go to church. But if you hear the pastor or someone say something and you know that it's kind of wrong, or know that it's wrong, don't go up to them and be like, hey, pastor, I think you're blah. But maybe say, hey, let's go out for coffee. Or maybe keep a journal or write something down to say, hey, you know, that's not right. I think that's off. Start questioning these things. Because like what Nietzsche said, and I'm not an atheist and I know he was, he was saying more of like, let's tear the whole thing down. It's all stupid. But I think what this quote is really saying is, how you corrupt people is telling them that you have the ultimate truth and you need to think like us. And then if you don't, then you're the problem. I would actually say that all the people who are conformists and believe everything willy-nilly without questioning, they're the ones that are misguided. They're the ones going astray, however that is. So, I don't think we have any questions or anything. This is over an hour-long talk. I did not think it was going to go that long. Um, we'll be back next week, um, hopefully live at Bryant Lake Bowl, weather permitting. Um, as I said, keep keep listening to us. We love everyone who's a part of this small community. If you like any one of our videos or anything like that, then um, continue to uh, listen, um, spread the word. And like I say to everyone, um, just keep being nice to everyone one another love one another this is such a crazy journey we call life so till next time bye